I'm Derek Thompson, the host of the podcast Plain English. We tackle technology, politics, culture, history, everything that's happening in the world and why it matters. New episodes of Plain English drop every Tuesday and Friday on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The MLB season is in full swing, and you can step up to the plate with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filtered by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, Bet the live same-game parlays for every MLB game and track your game and bets live with box scores and play-by-play. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21+, plus, 18+, plus in D.C., and present in select states. Gambling problem, call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Thomas's. Thomas's presents Technique with Tom. Slicing an English muffin with a butter blade? Boulder Dash. Just pull apart with your hands and marvel in the nooks and crannies splendor. For each one is unique like a snowflake. Thomas's. Huzzah! A toast to breakfast. Roll, baby. Welcome in. It's a late Thursday, early Friday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, J.J. Johnson Stremski. We're right here on the Ringer Podcast Network and not going to lie, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. I'm in a weird vibe. I'm in a weird state. And this always happens. This always hits me when we reach that like awkward bi-week weekend within the NFL. Because listen, for all of you that have been with us and welcome if you're new and get on board if you're not, shame on you if you haven't been listening, but from September, basically from that first Thursday game in the NFL when the Bucs were taking on the Cowboys, until last Thursday, we would go into each and every weekend with all of this crazy football hype Football anticipation, the buildup, the picks, all our football regulars, all the stuff that we would do for about four, four and a half months. So when you take that away and then all of a sudden you're out of your routine, it's like anything else. It's like if you're a night owl and you're going to bed at three, four in the morning every night and all of a sudden somebody says to you the next day, hey, guess what? We need your ass up at seven in the morning. You're probably not going to be adjusted. So if I don't sound adjusted, you know why. I'm just giving you what has gone through my mind over the last couple of days. That and everything we're trying to take care of for next week, which is going to be a badass, kick-ass week in Los Angeles for the Super Bowl. My first ever radio row, which we are going to kill, which we are going to slay. And I cannot wait to have all sorts of fun. we got a bunch of fun surprises, cool stuff for Los Angeles next week. Now, as far as what's going on, number one. You're seeing what is happening with this Flores situation. First, it was Stephen Ross last night. Then it's John Elway. Then it's the New York Giants. They're all defending their brand. 
they're all defending the shield. And they have different reasons for doing so. Stephen Ross, it's about the bribe or the bribe that wasn't, whatever the case may be. Elway, it's about the idea that he was showing up drunk and disheveled and didn't give Brian Flores one iota of time. But when we talk about the concerns Brian Flores brought to the table with the hiring practices within the NFL, that in many ways centered right on the New York football giants. And the Giants came out at around 6 o'clock this evening with a statement. They detailed what they went through in their hiring process. They mentioned the Bill Belichick hex. They made it clear that Bill Belichick is not an employee of the New York Giants. And basically, the Giants made it clear that, hey, we didn't do anything wrong here. Brian Flores was a serious candidate. We chose to hire Brian Dable. Take that for what it is. The bottom line to me with this Flores lawsuit, Flores is looking to bring major monumental change to how NFL organizations go about the hiring process. If he's able to do that, more power to him. Brian also has to be aware of the fact that it is very possible that he will never coach another game in the NFL again. Whether he is right, whether he is wrong, doesn't matter. There are going to be teams around the league saying, you're suing your former employer. You're suing the Shield. You're suing, you know, you're suing a bunch of these teams. How can we hire you? Whether that's right, whether that's fair, whether that's justified, I would say that it's not. I would hire Brian Flores tomorrow. I think he's a terrific head coach. He's got issues with the offensive side of the football, but that's neither here nor there. I think he should coach again. But I think this lawsuit and this lawsuit being pending, yeah, I, I, I do not think he's getting the text into the Saints job for what it is worth. So I expect it to be a big topic Sunday. I expect it to be a big topic when I'm out at the Super Bowl next week. This is a story that's not going anywhere. Even as the Giants make their case, hey, we didn't do anything wrong, the overarching themes of this story, I think are going to be a major backdrop for Super Bowl 56. Now, we'll have plenty of time to spend on Joe Burrow, Matthew Stafford. We'll dive into every angle of this game, the props, all that stuff. We'll do it next week. But, Basketball standpoint. And last night was a night where I had a little time on my hands. I'm doing Geico Sports Night on SNY. So it was feet up. Watch the Knicks. Watch the Qs. Watch the Knicks. Hit on one for three. Well, really, one for two, because I was actually happy that the Nets lost. But I'm going to start there. They're playing some lousy basketball. The record speaks for itself over the last two weeks. They've lost six straight games. They gave you a good effort in Phoenix. Last time we did a pod, we talked about that. They played hard. They were in the game. The better team prevailed. Too much Chris Paul. Too much Devin Booker. No answer for what Phoenix was able to do in the fourth quarter. Their effort Wednesday night in Sacramento was as checked out as can be. Now, all of the national shows, and the Nets fan doesn't want to hear this, the Nets play bigger nationally than they do here in New York. Because I woke up, and you know if you go on first take, or you go on any of these you know, talking head shows, the one they do on FS1, I forget the name of it. I, I guarantee you their lead was, what's wrong with the Nets? What's wrong with the Nets? I'm watching SVP last night. He brings on Legler. What's wrong with the Nets? Well, for starters, the Nets don't have Kevin Durant. They're going to look like a drastically different team when Kevin Durant plays. I can guarantee you that. The question I have, though, about Brooklyn, it's not the six-game skid. I don't care about seeding for the Nets. That's number one. 
Number two, they're going to look a lot better when KD is back. But what is up with Harden? His play, his body language stinks. Last night against Sacramento, look at that box score. Did that look like a guy who had any interest in playing and giving you his very best? The answer from what I saw was a resounding no. I mean, that's the sort of game where I'm like, is Harden shaving points tonight? And that's only a four and a half point favorite against the Kings or did he just have no interest in playing the second game of a back-to-back? You tell me. That's something Brooklyn's got to get figured out. They got no chance of winning a title if this is the version of James Harden they're going to get. No chance. I don't care if Durant comes back because the rest of their team, it's not good enough. You still have this, this possibility of Kyrie, will he play, will he not play? Is Harden frustrated about that? Is Harden looking to get himself to Philadelphia? I, I, I don't know what to make of James Harden, but I saw him quit on a Houston team less than 12 months ago. Flat out quit on the Rockets, gained about 40 pounds, ate about 50 cheeseburgers, and then tried to lose the weight coming in the Nets. And to his credit, he played well. Harden is not giving you that effort. He's not giving you that performance. Is it rule changes? Is it is stuff behind the scenes? I don't know. But the Nets need a better version of James Harden. And if they don't get that version of James Harden, then they're not going to be playing for an NBA title this season at the middle end of June. So that was a tough watch. Knickerbockers. I don't know how many Nick fans felt this way. I know I did. I'm watching the Memphis Grizzlies, and it wasn't even a peak John Morant night, but I watch that team. I see them grinding it out. I see them getting up and down the court, hitting back-breaking three after back-breaking three, and I'm just like, damn, I wish this was the team I was rooting for. And the Nick record from where it was last year, and Bree was talking about this on the broadcast, the win against Memphis last year in overtime, it turned their season around. I remember it well. It was one of the best Nick regular season wins of the year. Barrett outplayed Morant. They ended up winning late or tying it late, won in overtime. From that moment on, the Knicks took off and ended up getting a four seed. Well, the Knicks kind of had this fork in the road moment, as you might argue, against the Grizzlies. They played hard. I mean, you look at the stat line, it was a decent night for Randall. It was a really good night for Fournier. And it wasn't good enough because Memphis is just flat out better. And what's eye-opening for the Knickerbockers is what is coming up over the next three, three and a half weeks. The schedule for the New York Knicks is daunting, to say the least. Daunting to a point where you wonder, by late March, is this a team that still has anything to play for? That's how brutal the Knicks schedule is coming up. I want to give it to you because I was going through it as they about get set for a West Coast trip starting Saturday night. At the Lakers, all right. At the Jazz, at the Nuggets, at the Warriors, Trailblazers on the road. If the Knicks go two and three on that trip, they did a good job. Then they host OKC, but then it's the Nets. It's the Heat, it's the Sixers, Sixers, Suns, Clippers, Kings, Mavs, Grizzlies, Nets. That is a brutal, and I mean brutal, stretch of games from basically February to the middle of March. And does this team have 
500 within them in that stretch. I would argue from what I've seen over the last month, they do not. That brings me to the trade deadline. We are a week out from the NBA trade deadline. Their offseason was a nightmare. The Fournier contract. I don't care if he had 30 points last night. I wouldn't want him long term. It's a brutal contract. Randall and his extension. Who feels good about that? You think Julius Randle is going to be an all-NBA player next year, the following year, or the year after that? I don't, I don't think so. I think we got Randle's very best year ago. I hope I'm wrong if he's here, but I'm not buying that we're going to see that player again. The Kemba move did not work out. Everything Leon Rose has done this offseason has failed miserably. You have to own it. You have to be aware of that. So what do they try to do between now and next Thursday? Is a big move coming? Do they big borrow and steal to try to get rid of one of these bad contracts? That's your first round pick. I'm curious to see the creativity of the front office because right now it, it ain't working. It ain't gelling. It ain't meshing from a Knicks standpoint. And young players need to play. They traded for Cam Reddish. Guy can't find the floor. Can't find a floor. What, what, what is the point of that trade if he's not going to find a floor? The idea is he's an upside guy. He's a potential guy. Let's see him. So I'm going to have Brian Geltseiler on because Brian is very well connected around the league. He knows what's going on around the league. And I, I want to see what is out there for the Knickerbockers. And from a net standpoint, that panic meter, are we above and beyond or are we kind of chill because Kevin Durant is not playing? We'll find that out from the Hoops Critic. Hockey people, you get Molly Walker. I told you guys we were going to deliver on a hockey spot. The Rangers are red hot. The Islanders are in some trouble. So Molly, before she gets ready for the All-Star festivities, she's going to join us. Voicemails loaded show across the board as we try to get acclimated to life after football. And life after football, it's, it's an adjustment period. If you're waiting for the baseball season to start, don't hold your breath. Uh, I hope you didn't plan your spring training trip. I hope you didn't book a flight in a hotel and buy spring training tickets from the Yankees and the Mets. If you did, shame on you. Because we will be lucky. We will be lucky, ladies and gentlemen, if we have baseball by my birthday, May the 15th. I will sign right now if they are opening the season on May the 15th. What a mess. What a mess. Don't get me started. Brian Geltziler, he's up next. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. So the NBA trade deadline is a week away. And right now, not everything is sunshine and lollipops for the New York basketball locals. Let's welcome in my main man, one of my favorite basketball people on the planet, Brian Geltzile. You see him all the time. You hear him all the time. Sirius XM, Hoops Critic, man of many talents. What's up, dude? What's happening? What's up, JJ? How we doing today, brother? 
Brian, I've been better. I'm not going to lie. It's not just because it's 45 and rainy here in New York. Uh, the Knickerbockers do not have the same sort of feel-good vibes that they did a year ago. And we'll get to the Nets, which right now has a lot of people in a stir, and James Harden's performance has a lot of people ticked off. But I got to start with the Knicks. It's amazing to me that if you look at their record from where it was last year to where it is right now, it's not that different. It really, I think it's like two games, maybe three games, give or take. But the feel around the franchise, Brian, do you feel this way as well? Is just drastically different than what it was at this time last year? Yes, but there's, we got to give it a little perspective here. And, 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 and there's a lot at play right now at the Knicks. But let's start with just the simple in-the-moment perspective, John, right? Derek Rose has been out for a while. If we're Big being loss. honest about it, Big and loss. I know that, yeah, listen, Julius Randle is a second team All NBA guy last year. Rose was their second best player. Randle has not been that guy this year. Rose has probably been their best player. So they're without him right now. The other guy they desperately miss, and no one's talking about this, they made a decision to pay Alec Burks instead of paying Reggie Bullock. And Reggie Bullock got pretty much the same money from the Dallas Mavericks that the Knicks are paying Alec Burks. Reggie Bullock was their best perimeter defender. Their defense is not as good. R.J. Barrett, who's played very well defensively, did a great job last night on John Moran against Memphis defensively. They still lost the game, but he played well. He's not the defensive player at this stage, and he might be. That Bullock was last year. Bullock was very, very good defensively. Didn't need a lot of touches. Good shot selection. Hits his threes when he got the threes. If he didn't take a ton, well, he was okay with that, too. That fit better around Randall and Barrett than Alec Burks fit. So it's not necessarily the same team. The other thing is this. The Knicks got caught, for lack of a better term, they believed their own bullshit, John. And what I mean by that is you go 41-31 and last year and you think you're ready to compete a lot sooner than you are. So you go and you sign some veteran players to some contracts that aren't good contracts. The Randall extension's not a good extension. It hasn't even kicked in yet. And yes, if he's a second-team All-NBA guy like he was last year, it could be a value contract. But he's not that guy. He's not anywhere close to that guy this year. His attitude is different. He's not a good teammate. From what I understand, him and Thibodeau aren't exactly on the same page here. He's not putting in the grind defensively the way he once was. His shot selection's bad. So you have that Fournier the day ink went to paper. It was a bad deal, and they shouldn't have signed it. Kemba Walker was a disaster from the jump. And let's face it, if they did their homework on the player, that was foreseeable also. And as I just said, I would have prioritized Bullock over Burks. So now where are they? A young core of good young players that need experience to play better and stuck with veterans on big contracts. I will tell you this. If we don't see a very active New York Knicks management team coming up at the trade deadline, that is a failure on their part because they got to get rid of some of these bad contracts and clear some space so some of these young guys can get the minutes they so richly need to be able to develop in the way the Knicks want to develop. You are preaching to the choir. I've been screaming about Quentin Grimes for the last couple of weeks. He's a guy that has that sort of upside. He's that sort of 3 and D guy that you're looking for in the NBA. But Brian has been buried because you have all of these veteran contracts. So let's go through who's movable and who's not. Like, I've seen so much on Randall over the last week. Brian, if they can find a taker for Julius Randall, God bless. How are you? How could they possibly pull that off? I mean, they'd have to take back, what, two or three awful contracts in order to make that money, try to shake out, right? Like, let's start with Randall. No way he's getting moved between now and Thursday, right? 
Well, I'm not sure about that. Let's Interesting. Give you the ideal scenario. I mean, I hope First you're right all, on that. You think it's feasible and possible to move that salary. Okay. I so do. who would be I'm, a team that would be interested in taking that salary on? Sacramento. So first please, of all, as of, please. as of February 3rd, as of February 3rd, which is the day we're recording here today. All right. Randall is eligible to be moved with the extension kicked in. So he, he can be moved. Brian Windhorst was on my NBA radio show earlier this week. And I asked him flat out, because if you look at a Randall for De'Aaron Fox type of swap, and the Knicks would have to throw more in there. There's no doubt about it. But a Randall for De'Aaron Fox type of swap. De'Aaron Fox, by the way, first year of a five-year max extension off a rookie scale deal. So he's making a ton of money, and he isn't playing up to it right now. And they like Halliburton a heck of a lot better, and it's already been determined those two don't work together. It's Randall plus something, a first, the young player for De'Aaron Fox is a great deal for New I York. I make that get trade tomorrow. I would drive, Brian, I'll take it a step further. I would drive Julius Randle to Sacramento to make that trade. I'll do it. I, I'll rack up I, the miles. I don't care. I'd buy all meals on the way with you, Johnny. Nice. All right? To make sure that we got him there. All right. Because, yes, listen, I agree with you. I think that that's, they need to get Randle is clogging up so much for this team, not just minutes for Obi Top, touches. And listen, you have Reddish there, this awesome athletic 6'9 wing that needs to develop. You could play him at some stretch four in some smaller long lineups. There's so much you can do if you get Randall off this team. So Randall to me, and I we I asked Winhorst flat out about that, and he told me that subject has been broached, and he got quiet after that which would tell me that there's something going on and there may be a little bit of fire on that front. Alec Burks going to be easy got to trade. And I think he gets moved. Uh, if maybe a Utah, if Utah doesn't get the higher level guys they're looking for, that would be a guy that had experience for in the past. They would look to grab. It's not a prohibitive contract. I think he helps a contender with some scoring off the bench. So I think he gets moved. I think if Kemba Walker doesn't get moved, and I don't know how likely that is, I think the Knicks may buy him out, especially if they bring in a point guard into the trade. I, I think he's absolutely a buyout candidate. I don't think him remaining there helps anybody at all. And the impossible guy to move is Fournier. I can't imagine anybody's taking that Because that right contract now. is brutal. I'm hoping that his recent stretch over the last three weeks, and for whatever the reason, Brian, he plays well in these nationally televised games. I'm hoping there's some de- dumb GM around the league who's like, yeah, I've seen him on national TV. Let's bring him in. That contract, and I hated it because he's an all-or-nothing player. And, Brian, when he does not hit threes, he just gives you absolutely nothing. 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 My buddy Evan Cohen, uh, who works at, uh, at Sirius XM's Mad Dog Sports Radio on his morning men show and hosts with me on NBA radio sometimes, has a theory that the Lakers could be interested in that. And ultimately, if the Knicks would be willing to take Westbrook, the Knicks could dump off Fournier, Burks, and Walker to the Lakers. I think that's a prayer. I don't think that the Lakers would ever do that. With, with Westbrook, I mean, Westbrook, listen, no one else wants Westbrook. It's an untradeable contract. But if I'm the Knicks, I would jump on that opportunity. I don't think the Lakers would. But that would be your only prayer of moving Fournier. So to me, it's about let's get rid of Randall, let's get rid of Burks, let's get rid of Walker, even if it's through a buyout, and create some time and space for these younger guys. Reddish has to play. And for Reddish to play, you got to get off a wing. And I think once you do this and go younger, even if you're stuck with Fournier, you bring him off the bench. I don't care how much money he's making. Bring him off the bench, play your young guys together, and start your young guys. Another interesting situation here, John, is with Mitchell Robinson. 
because the Knicks have to make a financial decision on him at the end of the year. And I don't know that they want to pay him. Had a great night against Memphis last night, eight block shots, and, and he's played very well by and large, and he's well-regarded around the league. Point being is that if you want to get off of one of these bad contracts, and somebody wants Mitchell Robinson. You got to attach Mitchell Robinson to You that. attach mm. Mitchell Robinson and you send him out. They like Jericho Sims a lot. They feel like there's a lot of promise there. And they also feel like with the, the there's a huge amount of these type of pogo stick shot blocking centers out there. I like Robinson a lot. He's not a hard guy to replace. And I think Leon Rose and the Knicks realize that. So my point being, I'm anticipating the Knicks being really, really active between now and next Thursday. Fascinating. Percentage-wise, Randall off this team by next Thursday. What are you putting at? 35%? Yeah, about 40. I'd give it 40, 60. That's higher than That's I would have put thinking. it before this conversation. I would have put it at like 15 to 20. So you're t- so is there another team though, Bry, outside of Sacramento that would be willing to take on that contract? Your problem is cap space. Your problem is that there is no cap space around the league. Like for, what you could do is you could throw a couple of first round picks at Oklahoma City and see if they would take the contract because they just want to collect first-round picks. But if I'm the Knicks, I don't know that I want to do that with Randall. I, I don't, you know, Randall could kind of find himself again. What's interesting about the Sacramento thing is the Knicks earlier this week played Sacramento in the guard. Their head coach, Alvin Gentry, was waxing poetic about how much he loved Julius Randall. Had him in New Orleans. Randall had some great years for him. I don't know that there's another place necessarily to go, but Sacramento's really, really bad. Their win against the Nets last night, notwithstanding, they need to do something. There's a very interesting match there, and I know that the Knicks, with their Kentucky contingent in that front office, with Kenny Payne on the sidelines, with, with William Wesley in the front office, Kentucky guys appeal to them, and I think they feel like they could make a reclamation project out of De'Aaron Fox and get him back playing at a high level. Brian, let's get to the Nets. Look, they're a team that's going to be judged on the postseason. I don't go nuts when you lose games in the regular season. That said, last night, I'm watching a little bit of that game, and I see the performance from James Harden. You would have thought he was shaving points. I mean, what was that? That was not vintage. James Horn looked like a guy who had absolutely no interest of being on the court for the Brooklyn Nets. And there are rumors that he's unhappy. There are rumors that he wants to find his way to Philadelphia when it's all said and done. If you were going to put a panic meter at where the Nets are at, with nobody playing together, they've they've had these guys play together, I think, what, like nine or ten times over the last two years? It's crazy. Zero to 10, zero being the least concerned, 10 being the most concerned. Where are you at with Brooklyn? Four or five. I'm not, I'm not overly, I'm not crazy concerned right now. If Kevin Durant was on the floor, John, and this was happening, I'd be at an eight, eight and a half. But Kevin Durant's not on the floor. You're not a championship contender without Kevin Durant. It's simple. It's not complicated. Kevin Durant is your guy. Without Kevin Durant on the floor, this is a good team. James Harden right now is miserable. He's miserable for a variety of reasons. Number one, he has no patience for Kyrie and this vaccine stuff. He, he really doesn't. He Kyrie should be playing with him every game, and he feels like it's a little bit of a cop-out, and I don't totally blame him, and I'm a Kyrie guy. I, I, I like Kyrie Irving a lot. I don't agree with him about this vaccine stance, but I do believe that his heart's in the right place, and he believes in things, and, and he hangs his hat on those beliefs. And, and I think Kyrie's got his own set of issues. 
But James Harden, here's the bottom line. He didn't sign on for this. And when it goes bad for Harden, this is what happens. He pulled this stuff in Houston at times. This is the guy you get, this disengaged guy that's not trying very hard. Listen, I did, did he really not have to play last Saturday night in Golden State on national TV? Okay, he's a lefty and his right hand was bothering him. He wanted to leave Kyrie out against a good team on national TV and watch him get exposed. Do I know that for a fact? No, I'm speculating. But that's the belief I had because the injury is not so bad. And last night in Sacramento, he, didn't, he really didn't feel like going all that hard. And he didn't go all that hard. He's not happy with Kyrie Irving and how Kyrie has approached any of this. And this is not what he signed on for. So he's looking at the exit. With all that said, if you get Durant back, think about this for a minute, John. A, you get Durant back, which is probably going to happen between now and March 1st. B, realize this, and you know this from living in New York, and I'm in New Jersey, so we get this. Caseloads are down with COVID massively. This whole Omicron thing in this area has totally, the numbers have gone down so much that it's quite possible between now and mid-April when the NBA playoffs start, New York City Mayor Eric Adams lift, lifts the vaccine mandate. And over Kyrie can play these home games. And Kyrie Brooklyn. can play in the home games. And that's, and that's one of the reasons I think Kyrie's waiting to get vaccinated. Because to Kyrie, I don't think he cares. And this is part of what bothers Harden. I don't think he cares if he plays in a home game in the regular season, as long as he can play in the playoffs. So for him, wait it out a little bit, see what happens. And for the Nets, I know the seeding to me is important, but I don't know how important it is for this team that can beat anybody anytime. Listen, they had home court last year against Milwaukee and lost the game seven on their home court. Brian, let's it be honest. Ha- With the way this shakes out, they could end up as a five or a six seed. Now, I'm not going to say this if they end up in the playing because then you're playing more games, the odds decrease, right. whatever. But if they end up in the playing, John, they won't be in the playing. If they're a five or a six seed, I still think they'll be favorites, according to Vegas, to go represent the Eastern Conference. I don't agree with that. I would put Milwaukee ahead of them. I I would think about Miami and the team that they've put together. But I do believe the odds makers that have basically had Brooklyn as title favorites all year, they're not going to change that if they're a five seed. No way. If Durant's playing, no shot. No way. And I'll tell you something else. I like the group around the big three, if you get the big three out there. I don't even need Joe Harris. They've cultivated some good young players here. Kessler Edwards gives them good minutes. He defends, he guards. Patty Mills has had a great year for them. James Johnson's the kind of, kind of Swiss Army knife they need. What they've done with the young bigs, Claxton and Sharp. Claxton had a big night last night in Sacramento. He's, again, one of those like pogo stick centers. He can have good nights anytime. Durant makes everybody better. I mean, I mean, they'll get Joe Harris. I didn't even need Joe Harris. He stunk last year. Do you the think they need another terrible. role player, Brian? You think they need another Here, role player? One more player they need. And I and the guy sitting on Orlando's roster, and I think he'll be available, and it's Robin Lopez. Give me a traditional five. Give me a traditional five that I can play next to Durant at four where I can get the matchup advantages of Durant at four and not having to have do as much grunt work on the glass and grunt work in terms of helping out defensively because I have a solid defensive rebounding five that sets the solid screens, will finish around the cup when I need him to. Robin Lopez is the ideal player for them to go out and figure out a way to get at the trade deadline. The unfortunate thing for him is two other title contenders also need a Robin Lopez. Milwaukee doesn't have his brother and probably isn't getting him back this year. They could use Robin Lopez. And Golden State, with that with Wiseman out, could use Robin Lopez. So Nets are going to have competition for him. But I think that Robin Lopez is a very, very key guy. And frankly, when you look at some of the other teams in the East that struggle with bigs outside of Philadelphia, listen, Charlotte, who's not far behind the Nets, I don't think they catch the Nets, but they could use a Robin Lopez when you look at their situation. You know, Chicago could use a guy like that because Vucevic is not the most defensive-minded five. Like, 
he's a guy that, could, as crazy as it sounds, if Robin Lopez goes to one of these teams in the East, one of these contenders, he could swing the balance of power in the conference because it's that close. Crazy thinking about Robin Lopez is that sort of difference maker. But when you need a rim protector, hey, fits the bill. Yep. I love Phoenix. I'm adopting them for the rest of the year, by the way, Brian. I can't get enough of Chris Paul. I love the way Booker plays alongside him. They play a beautiful. I watched that game against the Nets the other night. The Nets played hard in that game. They played well in that game. And the minute Phoenix turned on the Jets, good night. Good night. Are they, do you look at them and say regular season team? Or do you see all of the ingredients of a champion? They made the finals last year, got exposed a little bit against Milwaukee. Do you see championship favorite and Phoenix Suns in the same sentence? Or are you not there? I do. No, I'm there. I'm there. Because I, I will tell you this. If they had done a better job in the Milwaukee series guarding Holiday and Middleton, they would have won the series. It, you can beat Milwaukee, John. If you let Giannis go crazy and shutting down the other guys, that's your formula for beating Milwaukee because you devote all these resources to shutting down Giannis. Giannis, the, he, the light bulb went off for him last year in the playoffs, which is if I get in the paint, no one stops me. I don't have to take perimeter shots. I don't need a three. And you know what? His free throw shooting is better. He goes to the line and hits free throws now. So you, you devote resources to stopping Giannis. Forget about it. It's not going to happen. You worry about doubling him. He starts to find shooters, and Middleton and Holiday are killing you. And the other guys, whether it's it's Connaughton, Ethan Genzo, Portis, these guys are all hurt you. You can shut down everybody around Giannis, you can beat them. Phoenix, I think, has the ability to do that. And I think they blew it last year in the finals, focusing far too much on shutting down Giannis, and they were never going to do that. So I think that adjustment gets made. Here's the other thing about them, which is crazy. First of all, they're deeper at the five now than they were last year. Last year, their backup fives in the playoffs. Worst was Dario Saric, who got hurt, and then Frank Kaminsky. Now they have JaVale McGee. They pick up Bismack Bayambo as one of these 10-day hardship deals, and he's lighting the world on fire for them. Looks fantastic. So they got size and depth at the five that they didn't have last year. Here's the other thing they have. Sarge is out for the year with a knee injury on an expiring contract. They didn't exercise the fourth-year option on Jalen Smith, who's a guy that teams are intrigued with. They could go add somebody here in a very interesting way, John. They could add whether it's Thad Young or the Spurs who would give him another option at four who's a good player. There may be another guard in their rotation, maybe a Dennis Schroeder type in the backcourt just as an extra guy besides campaign gives you a scoring dimension. They can go add somebody right now with what they have at the deadline and take this team that's 41-9, and nine, that's the best team in the NBA by a large margin, and actually improve on it. To me right now, the Phoenix Suns are 100% the odds-on favor to go win the NBA championship. This is a team that not only, to me, is a very good regular season team, I think they can be a great playoff team and a better playoff team. The one thing you hear people say about the Suns, and it's 100% true, there is not a discernible weakness on this team, and Devin Booker has the look of a major championship winning type superstar he's honestly Devin Booker quite frankly John most underrated player in the NBA for everything he does he is completely entirely unheralded and underrated and not given enough credit for his greatness they're not going to be giving us plus money like they did last year against the Los Angeles Lakers Brian that's unfortunate no, that ended up being no, sir. that ended up being one of those all-time gifts in that series talk about that was one that the odds makers got a little bit wrong and uh, a little bit just a, just a smidge. A little bit too much bias to the champs and LeBron and whatnot. Talk about a team that, final one, I'm rooting like crazy against that Laker team. I mean, the idea that they're going to throw Frank Vogel under the bus 
with the job he did a couple of years ago. Now everything is Frank Vogel's fault in Los Angeles. How about the team they put together? They took their defensive identity away. They can't shoot the basketball effectively. Please, you're going to blame Vogel? Give me a break, Brian. I see that. It bothers me to no end, dude. Listen, when you they talk about defensive coaches, right, John? A guy that's got a good defensive scheme. You still need good defensive players. You still need guys that can go out and execute their scheme. What is Frank? Hey, Bogle look at the Knicks. Tibbs is Mr. Defense. They're running Kemba Walker and Fournier out there. What do you think your defense is going to look like? Uh, of, of course, your defense is going to be bad. Westbrook has never been a good defensive player, John. Not even a little bit. And now they have him on this team, and they're asking him to do some things differently than he's ever done. They, you know, they thought they were going to get something defensively out of Baysmore. He stunk. Horton Tucker has been a massive disappointment. They thought Horton Tucker would come out, play well defensively, hit some shots for them, and they could use him as a trade ship to go bring in somebody. He's the only real trade ship they have because of his salary and his age. He's not a trade ship. They're trying to float him out there. I'll tell you right now, no one's interested. They got nothing out there to be able to do that. The best thing they have for him is to try to float Westbrook and take back bad salaries. That's not going to work. So for the the Lakers right now, they're stuck where they are. Not only are they stuck where they are right now, they're going to go into next year in a similar type of situation and just have to find a new cast of characters, of minimum salary guys to be able to surround the three major guys, LeBron, AD, and Westbrook. I mean, they're trying to float to teams like Kendrick Nunn, who hasn't played at all this season. That Kendrick Nunn's some kind of trade ship. For real? Are you kidding me? Kendrick Nunn's not a trade ship, but this is how desperate the Lakers are. And to me, as great as LeBron plays when he plays, 37 starting a show. And not when he's on the floor, the fact that he's off the floor as frequently as he is. You combine that with Anthony Davis, who's always been injury prone. The only time he wasn't injury prone in his career is when he had five months to rest before he got into the bubble. Once he had five months to rest, get healthy, get in shape, he got in the bubble, and he stayed healthy for that short amount of time. Otherwise, he's never healthy. So to me, when I look at the Lakers, there's just no way all of this comes together enough to make them any kind of viable contender. It's They're just not. And even if they are fully healthy with this group, I don't see them beating the Suns. I don't see them beating the Warriors. I don't see them beating the Grizzlies. And listen, I'm so down on the Jazz. I'm not sure I see them beating the Jazz either. So at best, fully healthy, everything running in the right direction. They're still the fifth best team in the West with everything comes together right for them. That's not what the Lakers signed on for when they put this team together this year. This is no doubt about it. And I agree with you. Frank Vogel is the last guy to blame. This is on Rob Palenka. And this is also on LeBron James. Listen, Rob Palenka was about to keep Davis Caldwell Pope and trade Kuzma and Harrell for Buddy Heal and LeBron wanted Team will look a heck of a lot better if they would have made that move as opposed to the Correct. Westbrook move. LeBron wanted Westbrook and they acquiesced to LeBron. And the way LeBron works is that if it goes bad, well, heck, guys, you shouldn't have listened to me. And so that's kind of where the Lakers are now. They're learning the lessons that other teams in the past have learned. The Cavs learned with LeBron. The Heat never learned it because they never listened to him. They did what they wanted to do. And by the way, LeBron won more championships in Miami than he has anywhere else. Brian, don't be a stranger. It's always good hearing your voice. And now you're actually giving me hope that there's a possibility for a Randall trade between now and next Thursday. So if it happens, you will be the first guy that I congratulate for making the, the, the vibe that I'm looking for, putting it in the air. It's all going to be thanks to you, okay? Just you. All right, well, that, you just can't kill me if it doesn't happen. Johnny. I won't. You know hey, listen, I promise you didn't proclaim. You just said it could happen, and that's really it all I happen. needed. I need a little hope. We got a little hope for you for the next week. Dude, anytime. Love coming on with you. Anytime you want me, I'm available, brother. The great Brian Geltzali is a man of many talents. Check him on SiriusXM NBA Radio. We're back with more voicemails than Nick Fenn's juicy stuff there. The Aaron Fox, Julius Randle. 
Sign me up right now, please. Come right back. This episode is brought to you by 7-Eleven. Cold slurpy drinks and a hot summer day are a match made in heaven. And your favorite refreshment just got even better. Let's talk about 7-Eleven's $1 small slurpy drink with seven rewards. It's the classic frozen fizzy treat you can't get anywhere else. I'm a blue raspberry guy. Just know that about me. Know that about me going forward. Anytime there's a drink like this, I'm in on the blue raspberry. If you're feeling thirsty, feeling thirsty right now, how about going to visit a 7-Eleven valid through 1725? 7-Eleven has the right to end this promotion early, plus tax, participating U.S. stores. See app for full terms. All rights reserved. I love the Hoops critic. He's one of my favorite NBA guests, and now he's giving me false hope about a Julius Randle, De'Aaron Fox trade. And yes, I would make that trade. In case you're wondering, yes, I would make that trade. I've always wanted De'Aaron Fox. The Knicks desperately need a point guard. I want no part of Russell Westbrook. Thanks, but no thanks. I'll never forget yelling and screaming at Bart Scott doing radio a couple of years ago. And I thought it was an asinine idea then for the Knicks to go and get Russell Westbrook. Now, forget about it. Forget about it. But Fox, I know he's having a down year. That guy can ball, man. I love them at Kentucky, the Kentucky contingent. I'm in. I'm absolutely in. All right, voicemail time. Let's get it. Number is 917-382-1151. We're going to have a ton of voicemails Sunday. Then Tuesday, Thursday, listen, we're going to be at Radio Row, so we might be all over the map. I can't promise you anything there. Don't know what we're going to be doing Tuesday, Thursday. We'll see what happens if it's a big New York week. We'll see. All right, voicemails here and now. Stefan, let's hear them, baby. Disco, uh, it's Anthony and Syosset. Listen. You know, with everything that's been going on this week, and I'm not here to talk about the Miami Dolphins or the Denver Broncos or the Cleveland Browns or even the league as a whole. I'm just calling to talk about the New York football Giants. And today, by the way, is 14 years, the 14-year anniversary of the greatest football game that I ever saw in my life, uh, the 18-1 and Patriots. And as you know, you've seen it. I own that shirt. I own the 19-0 and New England Patriots championship T-shirt. It's one of my prized possessions. But I'm sorry, and I say this, and you know it, because I said it to you, as someone who, the minute I found out Brian Flores was fired from the Dolphins, I said, get it for the Giants. But I'm sorry. I'm also the guy that said, when this GM came here, and I didn't know much about him, but I said, get me the GM from Buffalo, or get me the guy from San Francisco. I said, he needs to bring in who he wants. Because if you are going to bring in the guy that you uh, that, that the owner wants, you get off on the wrong start a few years ago. So for me, the Buffalo guy, bringing in the Buffalo guy, has nothing to do with race. It has to do with culture. It has to do with building a winning organization based on a formula that you've already created together. It has to do with familiarity. It has to do with success. It has nothing to do with race. And again, I say that as someone who respects Brian Flores, thinks he's a great coach, and, and would have been fine with him on the Giants as long as it's what the GM wanted. And I think he said the right thing on the, on the morning show the other day when they asked him, well, if you knew you weren't getting the job, why'd you go to the interview? Oh, because, you know, I, 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 I had faith. I had faith that, well, you know what? To me, until the announcement was made, until the announcement was made, they didn't have a head coach. So I, I don't, maybe, listen, maybe I'm being naive. And again, I'm not speaking on the gambling. I'm not speaking on your owner in Miami or your team or anything in Denver. I'm just speaking on the New York football tribe. They brought in the GM and the GM brought in his guy. Case closed, nothing else. Now, why is it a bigger deal than it is? Well, you know, that's for a different podcast in itself. Thank you, Disco. All right, there's a lot to unpack there, Anthony and Syosset. I agree with your premise. 
the minute Joe Shane got the job with the Giants, we all connected the dots. We all kind of figured Brian Dable was the front runner. I said it on this podcast. I'm sure you can find documentation of that. I made it pretty crystal clear. Joe Shane gets job. Brian Dable is his offensive coordinator. They had a good thing going with the Buffalo Bills. They're going to want to continue that with the Giants. Here's the issue. Making Brian Flores go and interview for a job, that was already predetermined. Who do you believe on that? I'll leave that open to interpretation. The Giants came out early this evening and said, hey, we did everything right. We did not, we did not hire a coach. You could see our itinerary right here. You believe them? I don't know. Is Belichick speculating? There's, there's a lot of unknown there. Guys like Brian Flores should be head coaches in the league. That's, to me, what it boils down to. He should be coaching the Saints and the Texans if he wants one of those jobs. And if one of those teams is smart, they'd hire him. The question is, is an owner now with a lawsuit pending going to do so? From a Giants standpoint, do I, do I have an issue with the Giants now for hiring Brian Dable? Not in the least. Not in the least. So we'll find out over the next couple of months who got it right and who did not. That's not for me to decide at this point. Because I, I don't know. I don't know. Next. What up, JJ? This is Joe. I'm a Jersey guy living in Boston of all places, but I'm a New York sports fan through and through. I'm Yankees, Jets, and Nets. And I wanted to focus on the Nets and ask you about the Nets. I know that they're not your team, but you covered them obviously plenty of times on the podcast. Great podcast. Thanks for all you do for New York sports fans. But it's been a rough go for Nets fans this year, man. We've, we thought that this season was going to be a revenge tour in a lot of ways, scary hours, but it just hasn't been that way. Only KD's signed past this year. We have Kyrie and James Harden having not signed extensions. Who knows what's going to happen with Kyrie now after everything that he's done to the organization this year by not getting the vaccine and, and not playing home games. Harden's now not committing long-term yet. At what point do, do do fans of the Nets panic? Should we have already panicked? Should we say, you know what, it's just a regular season. It doesn't matter at all. I'm curious your thoughts. Anyway, thanks for all you do. Great podcast. It's a fantastic call. I'm not panicking when Kevin Durant is on the court. He's the best player in the world. When he plays, he's as good as anybody. It's Durant. It's Giannis. It's Steph. Durant can do it all, and he showed you that last year in the postseason. And he showed you that when he was on the court this year, playing in the regular season. As far as the overall fabric of the team, I think that is open to change in the offseason. Harden in his future. Kyrie, who the hell knows what he's going to be doing. But I think from a net standpoint, right here and right now, thinking about this season, what would bother me the most is that, once again, no cohesion. No chemistry, no flow. And it's basically going to be a shotgun wedding trying to make it work in the postseason. It might. When you got Durant on your team, you've got a fighting chance, but you're behind the eight ball. That's why I don't agree with Vegas. You guys know me. I, I, I drew Las Vegas. I love Las Vegas. I respect the odds. The Nets should not be title favorites. And that's no disrespect to Kevin Durant. Milwaukee is a team that's used to playing with one another. Phoenix is having a fabulous year. Golden State 
has Curry and Thompson on the court. Like, I don't think the Nets right here on, what, February the 3rd are the favorites to win a title. It doesn't mean they can't win a title because a lot could change between now and April and May and June. For starters, though, get Durant on the floor and figure out what the hell is going on with James Harden. And you know who the Nets miss? I know he's stunk in the playoffs. They miss Harris. Especially in these regular season games, they miss what Joe Harris brings to the table. They really do. Next. JJ, hey, Mike in Westport. Boy, these Knicks, you know, I'll tell you. Um, they just so obviously don't have it. They just don't, you know. this, And the talent is just really not on the team. They got a lot of mid-range players. And I'm thinking, like, if Randall is, is this, is this it for Randall? I mean, like, the, even the game against the Grizzlies, they could have won that game if they had a game from Randall like he had last year. Uh, he never seems to have them anymore. So, I mean, it's a problem. Uh, another thing is, like, Mitchell Robinson, it's just like, well, they don't even talk about his contract. This guy's an unrestricted free agent. What are they going to, what are they, are they going to sign him? What would you offer this guy at this point? You know, he's one of the few players that it seems to have some real talent. Um, and it's like, are they going to just lose him for nothing? Is that possible? Does he even want to stay? It's a strange situation that you don't hear too much about. And my other point is, you know what, Leon Rose, it's just like, they brought this guy in. He's supposed to be some genius suddenly. You know who, you know who he is to me? He's the Knicks Brody Van Wagenen. That's who he is. You know, just like the, just like the Mets brought him in, Van Wagenen, he was an agent and oh, he's creative and he knows lots of people. He was a catastrophe. And it looks to me like Leon Rose is going in that same direction. You know, his free agent signings are, are not great. He never talks to anybody. And it's just like, what's with this guy? Is, 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 is he, is he going to just get a pass on, on just because he doesn't talk to anybody? I mean, his, the team has gone downhill since he's gotten there. He hasn't, his draft picks for at least his first year are nothing special. Uh, he hasn't made any good trades. And it's just like I don't know. It just seems like the like like the Knicks that they had they just like had a, like a, a lucky year, and it's just like it's the same old, same old. You know, Dolan tells his people you can't talk to anybody; they never do. And it's just like you know, it, 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 it's a shame watching this team. So I'd like to hear what you have to say about those things. Thanks. Bye. Appreciate it, Mike. Last year was a lot of fun. So far this year, it's not been a lot of fun. Leon Rose had a bad offseason. Now you're roasting him for draft picks. I'm not going to do that. Obi Toppin looks like a good player. Was he the proper pick over Halliburton? Not necessarily, but Obi Toppin can play. Emmanuel quickly can play. Quentin Grimes, who you got, looks like he can play. It's not like the Knicks in the Leon Rose regime have been picking with like top three picks and they've, they've made the wrong choice over and over again. They have not done that. This offseason, though, is going to hurt your perception of this GM. The decision to pay Fournier the amount of money that they did. Not looking like a wise choice. I don't care if he had 30 points last night. It's way too feast or famine. And when he doesn't hit a three, it gives you absolutely nothing. Gives you nothing. They go and bring in Kemba Walker. Move that was universally celebrated around town. Has not panned out. To the point now where Walker, whenever Derrick Rose comes back, Shouldn't be in the rotation. He's got nothing left. You know, you wanted to see if that burst he had coming back after being out of the rotation would kind of get him going. He could give you some offense every now and again, but he's just way too big a liability on defense, and he's way too spotty at this point in his career. He's not the same player. 
And Randall extension is a nightmare. I mean, let's be honest. It's an absolute nightmare. Because Randall has reverted to the guy he was throughout his entire career. He has nights where he can put up some numbers, but consistently bringing it on the stat sheet and with the effort, it has not been there. I'm open to the idea of moving. I don't know where he could go. Ryan Geltzahler tried to tell me the Sacramento Kings, tried to mention De'Aaron Fox. Well, if it's not Sacramento, then where else is it? I mean, uh, that contract is enormous. And there aren't a lot of teams that have cap space galore to make that sort of deal happen. It's a problem for the Knicks. It's a big problem for the Knicks. And if they could do it again, they would not have given Randall the extension. But the Knicks are going to be judged on whenever they get that star player, which they will, I think, at some point. Because I think they've done enough damage control with the organization. That next disgruntled star, the Knicks are going to be in on that guy. I don't know. I don't know who it is yet. Some applaud Donovan Mitchell. I've heard for years it's Carl Anthony Towns. Like, like the Knicks are going to be in on whoever that next guy is. They're going to have to get that guy. They're going to have to have everything in place. And then they're going to have to go. Simple as that. That is when we're going to officially say, all right, this organization is where they need to be or they're not where they need to be because it's a star-driven league. Or this year don't go according to plan. Maybe the Knicks get lucky in the lottery. Can I, can I actually happen at one point in my life? The year I thought they were going to get the number one pick, it actually would have been better to get the number two pick, and they went away. And I like R.J. Barrett. I'm not an R.J. Barrett hater. Yeah, I'd rather have Mr. Moran on my team. But I think the folks in New Orleans are probably saying the same thing for what it's worth. And if the Knicks would have taken John Moran over Zion Williamson, New York City would they would riot. It would have been out of control. Everybody wanted Zion. And I love Moran. I, I watched him in Murray State. So many NCAA tournament. I said, get, get me this guy. Get me this guy. But that's, that's par for the course with the Knicks. Steph Curry pick away. John Moran pick away. Again, par for the course. All right, last but not least. Hi, JJ. Uh, Nikita from Jersey. Um, I'm not even a fan of the local sports teams, a New England transplanter here, but still find your show hella entertaining and hella interesting. Uh, anyway, regarding the Brian Flores situation, you know, I was, I was struck by one of the things you said where you talked about Joe Shane being from Buffalo and deserving the right to bring in his guy, Brian Dable. And, you know, it, it makes sense to me. I'm sympathetic to it because, yeah, it's a big-time choice. It's his chance to succeed. Who knows if he'll get another? And it makes sense that he would need to put the, someone who could help him succeed in that position. But on the other hand, it strikes me that this, this guy mentality is part of the problem. You know, these, these white owners, um, they all want to bring in their guys. And the white general managers, same thing. And their guys, you know, in the vast majority of cases, just happen to be who look like them from similar backgrounds. That's who they're comfortable with. And so, like, with the rare exception of, like, Arians and Leftwich, it, it just feels like that's a fundamental part of the problem where, you know, the guys for these people are going are, inevitably not the black candidates and you know i'm i don't really know how to solve it I'm just curious about your thoughts anyway thanks it's an excellent excellent point and you look at the nfl as a whole 70 percent black the idea that there is one minority head coach in a league that's 70 percent black does not make sense and is unacceptable how do you correct and change the problem well, I think part of it 
is the idea of the decision makers. And you are seeing more minority candidates work their way into front offices. I think that's a big deal. You saw it in Chicago. You saw it in Minnesota. Like, this is monumental for the league. Ownership. Ownership right now, look at the guys who own teams. They're all white dudes. I think that is something that down the road will be beneficial to changing this problem. But yeah, like, it goes without saying. The idea that there is one minority head coach in the league is a disgrace. Let's call it what it is. It's a disgrace. Or I should say, one black head coach. Because we do have some minority candidates. I'm being remiss if I don't mention Ron Rivera and Robert Sala. So I want to make sure I throw that in there. Have to be fair. Have to be fair. But it's a problem that needs to be corrected. And I think that's what Brian Flores is lawsuit is trying to get at. As far as the hiring practices of the New York Giants, look, I heard Tiki Barber say this in a video clip the other day, and he's within the organization. He knows it. Basically said, look, I don't believe for a minute the Giants are a racist organization, and I would agree. I mean, they have had directors of scouting who are black. They have had general managers who are black, Jerry Reese, for example. So I don't get that sense with the Giants. But if they basically dragged Brian Flores along and basically said, we knew who our head coach was, we're going to make you come interview, that's unacceptable. That's the sort of stuff that would have me through the roof across the board. So that's the stuff that's got to come to an end. Now, I'm not saying it's coming from the Giants. We'll find that out. Giants kind of drew their line in the sand. So we'll see how the Flores camp counters in the days ahead. So this is a story that's not going anywhere, folks. Tell you right now, it's not going anywhere. All right. The hockey folks have been giving me a lot of grief. KJ, the New York team suck. It's been a down year for the Knicks. It's been an up and down year for the Nets. The New York Rangers are playing as well as anybody, and you're not talking hockey. Well, you're right about that. We have neglected way too much hockey over the first couple of months. We've had a lot of things going on around here. Sorry, hockey fans, you got to know where you are in the pecking order sometimes. Hockey fans don't like that, but... Mm. On my show, we wait usually until January, February. But January, February is here. The Rangers are playing out of their minds. I deliver. Molly Walker, who is great. I love her coverage. Does a fabulous job with the New York Post. She's been coming on my show for years. She's going to, I think, make you Ranger fans feel really good about where your team is headed for March, April, and beyond. All right, Molly Walker's up next. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. So a sport we have neglected on this podcast quite a bit over the last few months, and I'll be the first to admit that. Is hockey, of course. And the hockey people never like that. It always bothers them. But I am usually pretty fair and balanced once we hit the month of February where I say, look, football season has come to an end. 
If we have teams here in New York that are killing it, we're going to give them love. So before you give me any crap, Molly Walker, as we welcome you in, our hockey expert from the New York Post, um, has this been one of the more entertaining Rangers seasons for you to cover in your time on the beat? I mean, like, JJ, the Rangers have been in first place for, for about a month now. They don't and lose. You, Molly, in and all seriousness, still take three hours. Them. Like, every day I look up, I go, oh, Rangers won again. They were down. Oh, they won again. Ho hum. No big deal. You deserve all the crap that you have coming your way nice. for ignoring the Rangers. Come on. If you, you can't call yourself a New York, New York podcast and just come on and, and Listen, ignore the New York that's Rangers. That's where the Johnny come latelys <laughs> when it comes to hockey. No pun intended. But. We're here now. That's the yeah. bottom line. It's right, February. <laughs> the football season's over. Now, did you see this coming with the Rangers? Did you think the Rangers going into the year had the possibility of being one of the better teams in the Eastern Conference? Or is this just totally like surpassed your expectations? I think that the Rangers have surpassed everybody's expectations. Uh, I think coming out of an offseason in which they had a turnover in the front office, uh, acquired a, a bunch of new faces. Everyone would have expected growing pains, and there are still growing pains, no doubt. But they've got a very solid foundation of players of Igor Shosturkin, Adam Fox, Chris Kreider is having one of the best seasons of his career. Just a lot of things have fallen into place for the Rangers this season that have allowed them to to have more success than they were probably projected to. Um, as far as the playoffs, and you know, everybody's. It, they're the most polarizing team in the NHL right now, I would say. I think that half the people that are hockey fans think that all of it's a fluke or they just credit Igor Shosturkin for carrying them a whole way. And then the other half thinks that they're the real deal and that they can make an actual run at the Stanley Cup this season. I, I don't think either one is necessarily true or false, but I think that the Rangers have really started to come into focus in terms of identifying what their identity is and figuring out who they are as a team, how they want to play and how they want to be as a team in general. And I think that that has allowed them to have a lot more success on the ice than anybody anticipated them to have this season. Okay, Molly, prior to a couple of years ago, I remember there was this big hoopla. Are they going to keep them? Are they going to trade them? I always had a soft spot for Chris Crowder. I don't know. I always thought it was a badass. I always thought he played hard. I, I wanted the Rangers to keep him. I remember I was doing shows at the time. I'm like, you got to keep this guy. This guy is a, he's a foundational piece. He's a guy you want when you turn this bad boy around once again. And I think that decision to keep Chris Crowder and not to toot my own horn has worked <laughs> out pretty well. Because this is the best year, you just said it, of his career. What, in your opinion, has been the biggest difference in Crowder this year than the Chris Crowder that we saw maybe throughout his career? I think Chris Kreider has really just come into his own this season. You know, it might have taken until his 10th NHL season. And it might have taken until he became 30 years old. But he has just embraced who he is as a player, knows what he can bring each and every night. I think the mental aspect of it has been huge for him as well. I think that the fact that the Rangers named six alternate captains, it could have gone one of two ways. I think that either he maybe wanted the captaincy and wanted, and when he didn't get it, I think he could have gone out and just absolutely torn it up and had it as an extra motivation in his back pocket. Or he just has completely bought into what the Rangers are doing with their six alternate captains and that they want a veteran leadership group. And it's allowed him to not 
put pressure on himself and to just be able to play and, and be who he is on the ice. But he just has been unbelievable for them this season. Just, I don't think that the Rangers would have nearly as much success as they've had. I mean, don't get me wrong. Igor Shostrykin is a huge part of that as well, but Igor can't score goals. And Chris Kreider has all he's been doing is scoring goals. He has just mastered the deflection, mastered his net pre- net front presence. He's got his stick on every shot and he's just been lethal around the net for them. And, and I don't think that many teams in the National Hockey League expected Chris Kreider to come out as hot as he did this season. And, and he's been a streaky scorer his entire career. There's been nothing streaky about this season for him. And we're just over halfway through. So that's that's a testament to Chris Ryder. It's been a whole lot of goals. So last August, September, I want to say, we did, we had a little fun. We put together like a New York athlete top 15 list. And listen, the criteria was all over the place. So like <laughs> there was, it was the first time we did it. I had some fun with it. A lot of people had a problem with it. And yep. a lot of you hockey folk, as I like to tell you guys, <laughs> I didn't have Adam Fox on the list. And it was one year. I said, listen, he was a stud, but I said, it's one year. I said, listen, show me a little more. And I promise you, I'll put him on the list. Molly, (laughs) I'll save you the trouble. I'll save you the drama. We do the list in in August or whenever I decide to do it. Adam Fox is going to be on the list. How, when was the moment for you watching him that you knew he had the sort of skill and capability of being one of the top defensemen in the league? Did you like kind of know right away or was it somewhere you had to watch him for a couple of months, had to see him through that first year? When did it kind of like come? When, when did you have like that come to the realization? Oh, man, this guy's a player. I don't know if it was a single moment, but I think that from the moment that he became a Ranger and that he started playing top four minutes for them on defense, he, he just he slot right in. And similar to what we're seeing from Braden Schneider now. He looked like a veteran of five years rather than uh, a rookie in his in his first season. So I think that that is a testament to him and his poise and and just the way that his confidence in himself and how he can handle the puck. Um, I can't say that there was there was one specific moment, but he's just been incredible for them since he became a ranger and and just anchors that defense for them but i think that there there's been a couple times in practice in general where he'll make a play or or trap the puck in a way where me the other writers and myself will just look at each other and laugh because sometimes you just can't even believe some of the things that he's able to do with the puck and and his puck management skills it's it's otherworldly sometimes and and he's got such a high 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 hockey IQ and I think one of my favorite uh Adam Fox stories from this season was when we were talking to Nils Lundqvist and and Lundqvist brought him up unsolicited saying that he had given him some pointers and stuff so I quickly followed up and I was like oh please do share some of those pointers and Lundqvist kind of smiled and said that Fox told him that not everybody in the National Hockey League is as smart as they think they are and that's coming from a guy with the Harvard degree (laughs) in psychology and and that's just that's that's Adam Fox though he's absolutely brilliant both on and off the ice and and it's very apparent. Do you think the coaching change, Molly, has made a big difference for this team? Huge. I think that no knock on David Quinn at all. I think David Quinn did his job when he came in. I think he had the development touch that the Rangers needed, that a lot of the young players needed to kind of get started in the in the NHL. 
But as we saw from the whole ordeal in the offseason, the message that we kind of got from the front office is that the Rangers want to be in a win now mode. The Rangers don't want to be in the rebuild anymore. They want to start competing. They want to start contending in the playoffs. And you just can't have a development coach in charge in that sort of situation. You needed somebody that had a bit of a tougher temperament. And I think that Gerard Gallant really has that. Um, but he also brings um, a a strong mentality in the sense that he doesn't want the Rangers to dwell on the losses. He wants that he wants them to look ahead. He wants them to take the positives out. And I think that was that's been huge for this Rangers team that in the past has shown that they can get in their heads a little bit and overthink too much. And I think that's an area where David Quinn kind of lost the team a little bit in the way that he wanted them to play. It made them second guess themselves a bit and think a little bit too much. And that's just been completely gone um, under head coach Gerard Gallant. And I think that the Rangers have thrived in that sort of situation and the young players are able to some of them are able to come along quicker than others um under that circumstance but Gerard Gallant is a is a win first coach everything that he does is is to win he's not focused on on developing or you know ushering any players along and and I think that that's what this Rangers team needed okay Molly I go back to when the Rangers had a group of guys that was in the playoffs basically every single year that Hank and that and it felt like come May or come June, it would be the same sort of issue, be the same sort of problem. They couldn't score enough. They weren't explosive enough. They were gritty. They were tough. They were easy to root for, but they just couldn't score enough goals. Do you see a major difference from the complexion of that Ranger team that was good, but it was close, but no cigar, and this Ranger team? I definitely think that this Rangers team has a lot more skill players. Um, that being said, they are still definitely one or two forward pieces and probably a reliable defenseman away from really going toe to toe with with teams like Tampa Bay, Carolina, Florida in the playoffs in the long run. You know, they may be able to 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 take a couple wins over them in the regular season, but in the long run, the playoffs are a whole different ball game. You know, I feel like everybody's talking about the different vibes of the off season. I mean, the uh, postseason, and just the intensity of it. And that's something that this Rangers team hasn't experienced at all. I mean, their last kind of, you can't even really call it a playoff. Uh, I was going to say, when they were in the bubble because a few years it wasn't. ago, it's like, I'm yes. putting a big fat asterisk next yeah, to that. It doesn't was, count. It does, I mean, it counts. It no counts, I guess, it on the counts. record books. But as far as like going through the grind of a Stanley Cup right. playoff and, right. you know, and listen, I don't want to knock that champion or whatever, but please, right. like, it's not, you know the deal. It's not a full right. season. You're coming in. You, you, It was just so, dis it totally, totally different. Right. No, I agree. I think that I. it definitely was different, but they, you know, they got swept. They got absolutely, you know, manhandled. And I think that there was a little bit of, playoff intensity to that bubble maybe not as much in the play-in round but the Rangers were just not ready they they absolutely just fell flat on their faces so I think that it's you know they they're going to need a couple reinforcements going into the playoffs and I expect the Rangers to make a move or two before the March 21st deadline um, but it, it'll be interesting to see how they handle their first real playoff series in, in a number of seasons you were at the garden the other night Everybody honoring our old pal, Mr. GQ himself, suit 
fit perfectly. It was not, as usual. It was perfectly not, tailored. Know, it was not. It was not Ben McAdoo, you know, coming to the presser <laughs> with the suit that's like way too big that I was wearing to senior prom. No, 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 no. The hair was perfect. The beard was perfect. Perfectly and coiffed. It felt like all in all, the Ranger fan, despite the game not going their way, really showed their love and their appreciation for Henrik Lundqvist. So, like for you, covering the sport, he's the face of the Rangers. Is there one particular favorite interaction or favorite moment just watching Hank in that that like you always think of when you think Henrik Lundqvist, aside from winner, aside from big time goaltender, GQ, the whole deal. When I say Henrik Lundqvist, what does Molly Walker think? I mean, I just think face of the franchise for 15 years, you know, face of the franchise for longer than any other Ranger has ever been. And that's that's such a a tremendous weight to shoulder for so long. And I think that the Rangers did an unbelievable job in the way that they honored him the other night. It, it You could just tell how much effort they put into it and how much they really wanted to show him how appreciated he was. I was saying on our podcast earlier today that they had more blue carpets on the ice than I had ever seen for one of those types of ceremonies. Usually it's a carpet here or there, you know, for just a couple people for standing room, but they just, it was a whole set. It was like as if they, it was like a whole production, a whole thing. They had a giant 30. They had uh, so many people that they invited, former players, all of his teammates. And it was just an absolute unbelievable night. Um, I think probably my favorite moment was uh, before the game when he was addressing the media in like a pregame ceremony speech. He, he didn't choke up until he talked about how excited he was to thank all the people that have helped him in his career on the Rangers, his family, former teammates and everything. And he had to stop and compose himself because he was just so overwhelmed um, that he was going to finally get that opportunity to thank everybody. And it just really shows what a great guy he is and, and how much the Rangers meant to him. And in the end, you know, he really gave his heart to the Rangers all in all. And he didn't win, but it, he almost feel like he did. Yeah. I know it's weird. It's like Patrick <laughs> Ewing with New the York Knicks. City. He, he won, won the, the heart city of New over. York city. The guy was good every year. The guy was top flight every year. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. I mean, I root for a quarterback basically for 15 years who was better than anybody. And he got to the Super Bowl his second year. He thought he was going to be there for like 20 years after the fact. And when I was a kid growing up, he was old. He was still slinging it around. And he was an ace Ventura, but neither here nor there. All right, before we say goodbye, Islanders, mm. they've had this weird. Real weird. Disjointed yep. all over the map season. New arena, not at home for forever. Then they have the huge COVID outbreak where they're missing a ton of dudes and they still got to play these games. And you look at the games played, Molly. Like I was just taking a peek a few minutes ago before you came on. It's like they're still trying to make up so many games compared to a lot of the other teams yeah. in, the NFL, in the NHL. <laughs> Is their season cooked? Or can they still salvage something out of this year to find their way into the postseason? Is it just because you combine the playoff wear and tear to the odd set of circumstances that went against them at the start of the year? That's tough to overcome. It's a lofty task. It's a very, very lofty task. I mean, I would just describe this season as emotional for them, really. It, it was very unexpected. I think there were a lot of personnel changes that I don't, think Lou Lamorello expected to have as big of a re repercussion over um, or consequence, I guess I should say. You know, I know a lot of the moves that he had to make were were made because of their cap situation. 
I don't think that they expected Nick Letty's void to be as difficult to fill as it was on the back end. Just he's a minutes guzzling defenseman and, um, you know, the way that he's able to drive some of the offense for them, I think they were really missing it. And they've just had a slew of injuries, COVID cases, and it like, yeah, just a really weird season for them. It'll take a lot to salvage it. I think it's been super emotional and that's draining by itself. So I don't want to count them out, but in my head, it, it, it's kind of like the Rangers are, are the team in New York that are probably going to be in the playoffs instead of the Islanders, which is the first time in, in a couple of years. So it's a bit of a reverse and, and, and it's definitely strange. And I, I feel for the Islanders, I do. I think that they really got shafted during their whole COVID situation um, by the league. I think that the league was still kind of going with emotions and trying to figure out what what worked best and what their threshold was of when they wanted to take action on teams that had COVID outbreaks. And I don't think anything really worked out in the Islanders' favor at all. So it's it's an unfortunate circumstance, especially after the last few seasons that they've had. But hopefully they can come back, you know, stronger after such a weird season. I promise you, Molly Walker, we're going to be doing a lot more hockey on the podcast. Yeah, you so better. If you're checking up on me. The all-star I can, break. <laughs> I, I promise. And I'm, I'm very annoyed, jealous, all combined into one, that you will be getting on a plane very soon and you will be mm-hmm. finding your way to Las Vegas because it yes. is one of my favorite places <laughs> on planet Earth. So you you enjoy. Go go tell the wind craps table I said hello. I miss it. I miss <laughs> I'm sure it. you're on a first name basis. I, will. Uh, I was going to say, Pip. <laughs> And now that Pip Boss Rich is not going to be getting the Raider job, I wonder if I'm going to see him at the table, you know, the goatee, the hat, the whole deal, he'd fit right in. So have fun in Vegas, keep up the good work, and uh, we will definitely touch base before the postseason, okay? Great. Thanks so much, JJ. Molly Walker over at the New York Post. See, I told you people, I deliver on some hockey. We're coming right back. See, hockey fans, I told you, I told you. Patience. Feel like I'm Yoda Obi-Wan. In the Dagobah system, says uh, Luke Skywalker is like itching to go to Cloud City. Patience, patience. Otherwise, you're going to go fight Darth Vader and you're not going to be prepared. No, I'm just kidding. I don't even think that analogy works with the hockey fan. But I I, I watched Star Wars like last week. So I, I guess creatively, I just wanted to throw that in there. If it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. Again, I'm getting out of football mode. So, you know, it's the transitions may be a little wacky, but wacky is what I do. All right, before we say goodbye, Jeff Money. Jeff Money has been so damn hot in college basketball, it's ridiculous. I wish I'd been riding more of his picks, quite frankly. I mean, he's digging in the eighth hand. He's giving us, like, all sorts of crazy non-conferences. So, Jeff Money, what's in store, buddy? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper pick. This is going to be for tomorrow, Friday the 4th. I got two college basketball games for you. I'll start out my money playing. We go with Cornell, minus the one-and-a-half opening line against Princeton. And we'll go with number, uh, we'll go with Fresno State. Minus the 10 over in Nevada. Again, two plays, money playing college basketball. We're going to go with Cornell. Cornell minus the one and a half. And Fresno State minus the 10. And everybody can always follow my daily picks on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Cornell. See, folks, Jeff Money is digging deep. Cornell. How about the weekend, by the way, in college basketball? Got a couple of really good games. Duke, Carolina, which is always one I circle. And then you have Baylor, Kansas. Big 12 this year has been outrageous. It's been outrageous. By the way, you enjoy Chris Beard's treatment when he was playing at Lubbock? Uh, that was not exactly a friendly environment for Mr. Beard. But, you know, you, you turn your back and 
you know, go to a rival that's in state, even if it's your alma mater, it's not going to go over well. It's not going to go over well. So Saturday, I'm going to be sitting on the couch and just gambling away on college basketball. I cannot wait. Love those Saturdays. That's going to be my new pastime now. Saturday college basketball wagering. It always takes shape right after the tournament. And I will probably have a few picks that I'll be posting on like Saturday at like 11 in the morning. So if you want to tell, if you want to fade, John underscore Jastrzemski is where we work our magic. Great work by Stefan. We're back Sunday night and it's the calm before the storm. It will be a week before Super Bowl 56. Enjoy your weekend. JJ, signing off. Be good, everybody. <laughs>